Welcome to this episode of CTU Speaks, No Value Added, the real story of Paul Vallis. Homie, I was taught by a Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher. I learned to read and write from a Chicago teacher, so I'm inspired by the fight from my Chicago teachers. I'm your co-host, Jim Staros, and I am joined with... Tara Stamps. Tara Stamps, the ultimate talker. That's what I heard. How's she doing today? <laughs> I'm good. I'm actually good today. I'm, you know, doing a little work. You know, everybody has like lots of titles around here, but one job. And that's, you know, getting Brandon to the fifth floor. I like the way that that flowed out. And, you know, one, one of the things I've seen that, you know, it, when we look at the polls, there's one thing to look at the poll numbers. The other thing is to look at the way things are trending. And uh, Brandon's trend line is looking good, man. The more people try to talk and attack him, the better he seems all the time. And that's why, like, the word of God, now, you know, before I even get in this, everybody knows I am not a, like, you know, biblical scholar. However, I do know the Lord. There's something in the word that will say he will make your enemies a step stool. And I feel like that's kind of like what's happening in those numbers, right? Like, you know, First, it was Jamal, whose name really is Jamal. And certainly if he was in my class, I would have been calling him Jamal. And I like him even less now. So I might call him something else. I'm not sure. And then it it was everybody. It was like, wait a minute, what happened? You know, some of the candidates were cool and holding their own. But it's it seemed like as Brandon started to like really trend and his numbers were trending in an upward trajectory, like there was this real attack on him. But I am confident um, that this is one of those times when um, his enemies really are a step stool to his ascent. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, you know, looking at the way things are going, it's, uh, it's very exciting. You know, I mean, you know, you look 10, 15 years ago, maybe even a little more like, Progressive weren't even really a thing hardly in Chicago. No. And now it's like, you know, there's so many people out there fighting for social justice, fighting for a better city for everybody. And they're not just fighting for themselves or their own demographic or their own socioeconomic status. They're fighting for everybody because they realize we're all in this together. We're all in this together. I, and I tell people this, you know, I I'm I come from an activist background, as we always we already know that. But we're sitting at a place right now where for Tara. Uh, and as I'm talking to other people, like it's not enough for you to be black. It's not enough for you to be female. It's not enough for you to be Latine. Um, it's not enough for you to be white. You got to be right. And you have to have had a history being on the right side. You know, as the people say, I got the receipts. And with where's Brandon is concerned, he has the receipts to demonstrate that he's been on the right side. Even when he was in the classroom, right? And I was his mentor teacher. And even since then. So it's exciting. It's a little frustrating. It's a little maddening. But overall, um, I am filled with the thought that we have an opportunity to unite our city again. Um, as Fred, you know, as Chairman Fred Hampton tried to do back in 1969, when he initially founded the Rainbow Coalition, as Jesse Jackson tried to do when he kind of resurrected the whole idea of the Rainbow Coalition, and even as Harold Washington, um, when in his historic race, 
had the remnants of that whole rainbow coalition where he was able to galvanize and organize uh, based on our common interest, all of these different nationalities and ethnic groups and um, intergenerational people under one banner. And I think what's exciting about Brandon is that you see the resur- you see the the resurrection of that. You know, you see Brandon again uniting people under this rainbow sign, where it's black and white and Latine and young and old and you know and everything in between. Um, he's able to touch people, and all of those different spectrums or along the spectrum because he's sincere. No, I, I agree with you hundred percent. I like how you said that, you know, we got to look at the receipts and, you know, and today's show is looking at the receipts of another individual because yeah. <laughs> everybody got a past and you know what? Some people are still true to it and, you know, people do what they do. And, you know, one of the, one of the guests we've got today, we got a lot of really great guests today, but one of the guests was a, a gentleman named Howard Heath. And when I was talking to him, he had said, uh, you know, I don't, I don't even call him Paul Vallis. I call him a, a Vallisaurus. What is uh, what is that? I call him that because he's a he's a dino. I'm like, okay. Like, what's a dino? And he's like a, a Democrat in name only. <laughs> I never heard that before. I'm like a Vallisaurus. Yep. And that's who we're talking about. It's the accuracy for me. You're right. And I mean, what, what Vallis is wanting to do in Chicago is what he's been doing for the last however many years, however the whole hell old he is. And he's done it. He did it here in Chicago already. You just got to look back 20, 30 years and you see what he did. And we got we got a couple of teachers that we're going to be talking to in the in the episode today who were teaching back when Vallis was the head of the public schools, when they actually had to change the rules about the head of the public school because he wasn't qualified to be the head of a public school. So they had, so they had to change to be a superintendent. It. Yeah. Wouldn't that yeah. be great if we could apply for a job? We ain't qualified for that job. And we're like, yo, bro, you know, I know I'm coming into interview for this job as like an engineer. I got no engineering degree. I don't know engineering or anything, but just make me be able to do it. Just change the rules and I'll build that bridge over there and you just drive your ass over that and we'll see how that works. <laughs> yeah, but it's not uncommon. You know, they've been playing that game for a Oh, I know. Long. I know. Right? It's just so like, they just, you know, it's like who moved my cheese? Like every time. Oh my um, God, we dude. figure out what the rules are and other people are able to ascend and get those positions. Then they change the qualifications. And uh, in this case, Daly changed those qualifications for his homie, Paul, the Vallisaurus. The Vallisaurus. <laughs> you know, but it, I don't know if I got away with it, I wouldn't come back. But that's arrogance and narcissism. So exactly. I, I'm, I'm not surprised by that. No, you're right. Because this is the thing. This is the thing that I'm learned about life in my 50 <clears throat> plus years. You know, thank God I don't look like what I've been through. Not at Hello. all. Hello. Not at all. But anything that goes unchecked metastasizes. So whenever you get away with something in your mind, that means you can go back and do it again. And apparently that's what was true in Philadelphia. That was what was true in Louisiana. He even went down to Haiti. And wreckage is what he left in the wake. But, you know, nobody is like really, really blasted him. But we're going to fix that today. Yes, we are. And we're going to fix that with our first guests who are teachers. Uh, like I said, that taught back when Paul Vallis was the head of the Chicago Public Schools. And let's get to those guys right now.
All right, so we're here with our guests now. We got Nora Flanagan from Northside College Prep and Nina Hike from Westinghouse. How are you guys doing today? Good. Doing very well. <laughs> nice. Are you sure about that? Okay. Yes, I'm sure. I just left Westinghouse from the Black History Month assembly rehearsals, so they went awesome today. Well, it's good to hear. So, yeah. Nice. You know, we're here to talk a little bit. It's a little different uh, episode than we're normally having. Today, we're talking about stuff we don't like, individuals we're not a big fan of, Paul Vallis. So, Nina, I know you were here back when Vallis was... Uh, Let's put it in air quotes, the leader of Chicago Public Schools. You were laid off at that point. Can you tell us kind of how that happened? I was a first year teacher at Orr High School, and um, the climate there was test, 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 mm-hmm. test, test. Um, and then I had got the word that um, Orr was on uh, probation. Um, and then at the end of the year, um, they were like, Everybody is going to have to reapply for their jobs because the school is getting reconstituted. And at that time, I was pregnant. And so I was kind of like, what? Um, So, yeah, it was pretty wild to have to, like, hear the news after I had worked so hard as a first-year teacher. So So what what was this whole reconstitution thing? So what does that mean exactly? So reconstitution means every single person in the building was fired um, due to low test scores and that they all had to reapply for their jobs. And some people got their jobs back, but it wasn't like a guarantee, like, oh, you're getting fired and you're going to get hired back. It was you had to reapply. And um, there was a new administration uh, put into, so they didn't really know us. We had to go in there and reapply for our jobs. So every person, the engineer, um, I was about to say every every single person the in the building, the lunchroom staff. Yes, every wow. single person in the building had to reapply. What kind of environment did that create um, for the students <laughs> first and foremost, right? And 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 the teachers during it, that time. It was really like test prep heavy, um, and you had to really teach to the test. You know, you were just under this. I think it was called the case exam, I think, that we had to give. And your name was, like, on it. And you just really felt overwhelmed at the time to teach to the test. And at the time, you know, I was teaching biology. And so um, I tried to uh, squeeze in biology when I could. But you just felt the this presence of, like, test prep. And you have to do the test prep. Um, So it was kind of, like, mandatory test prep. the, The student body. I think students uh, felt the pressure. They felt inadequate. Like, you know, if they didn't pass that one-day test, they weren't knowledgeable, you know, to do well and, you know, have a bright future. So it kind of put like a stigma, you know, on the students in the school to be kind of labeled as a failing school. So because it was all in the newspapers. It was everywhere. There was so Um, much embarrassment. It was really high embarrassment. And it was like the teachers um, couldn't teach. They That's why they got fired. But it's like, well, how could you really say that if there were a lot of first-year teachers in there um, and other teachers that had been there for, for years, veteran teachers? Um, and so every teacher in the building wasn't bad. The custodial staff wasn't bad, you know. Um, <laughs> the lunchroom staff wasn't bad. So they didn't deserve to, to get fired. Right. Um, but just basing everything off of the test, I feel like they didn't take into account the whole student. 
um, and the student's creativity and willingness to to learn, right, and have a thirst for knowledge. Just if they didn't pass this test that was written by whoever, then they were deemed uh, inadequate or low performing or failing. And so you just felt that, like when you walked into the school, you kind of felt that. So, Conversely to what Nina's saying, I came into the system shortly after that to Lane Tech, which was a is a selective enrollment school. That was some audacity on behalf of selective enrollment schools to feel like we were doing something right because right. we scored well on these tests because students had taken tests to get into our schools. Right. So of course they were going to do well on standardized tests. But meanwhile, CPS is patting selective enrollment schools on the head for scoring well on a standardized test when that's how they constitute their student population. What you just said just, I don't know, made me kind of look at that from the other side. And just as we shouldn't have been condemning schools like Orr, we shouldn't have been congratulating schools like Lane. For real. Because there were so many amazing teachers that were locked into situations or locked into schools and deemed a failure, not because they were not a good teacher, but because of, of the children didn't make that mark. And so you would you could take that same teacher to Lane Tech and they'd be celebrated. And we're seeing a lot of that even on the REACH exams now where it seems that teachers are being graded or scored uh, based on the schools where they're teaching and not their excellence as a teacher. And then system-wide, you've got all the schools in competition with each other because nobody wants to end up on that list in the Tribune of schools on probation. So it's, I mean, that was when I saw the cutthroat competition among schools across the city start and just all this tension among our school system. I'm sitting here now, and I came in with you, Nina. I came in 96, 97, and it's just crazy what the Vallis administration ushered in and what we are still experiencing, right, as a result of the perception of public schools and the opportunity, really, to just cash in. Right. Let's like call a thing a thing like he ushered in the charter schools and, you know, and and I tell people all the time before you can make your final blow, you have to invalidate the thing, criminalize the thing, make it so unattractive that by the time you make your final blow, people think you've done a, a job like they think you did the right thing. Right. And I, I always think about that because I'm from Cabrini and I remember how Cabrini Green we were in the news all the time and we were branded all as this horrible place to live and grow up. But the people that I knew and grew up with did not feel that way about their buildings at all. But you had to vilify it, right? So that by the time um, Chicago was ready to um, get rid of public housing as we knew it, it would seem like that was the just thing to do, which is a part of why we have a big housing crisis even yep. right now. Yeah, and I would say that Orr has been turned around several times since that first Mm -hmm. reconstitution. They've made it into small schools, and then they made it into, you know, one school again, and then they (laughs) turned it again. one experiment after the other. But they never looked at the community around Orr and the disinvestment in that community. And um, I actually attended Orr High School, too, for my freshman and sophomore year of high school. Um, And so I was there, like, in... um, what, what was it, 87, I guess, <laughs> 1987, uh, as a freshman uh, there. And right now my mom, she still lives right down the street from Orr. And so we've watched the neighborhood turn from a well, you know, 
resourced uh, Black community to a place where they're just vacant lots and people still trying to hold on to their houses uh, in that neighborhood. So not just the school is being turned around, turned around, turned around. That neighborhood has been the site for a lot of disinvestment and just no support and resources. And then my grammar school actually got closed too. Well, you know, the, the weird thing with for me with this is that, you know, you've got Vallis who tried all these random ass experiments with having no idea what he was doing. And now he's back to Chicago being like, hey, remember how I didn't know what I was doing last time for the schools? How about I do that for everybody? That's surely not right? I mean, speech. that's like he comes in like he got the cape and everything. Exactly. Yeah. But he can ask, remember what I did? And the answer among a lot of educators is no, no because they, there's been so much push out of, them of all, veteran right? teachers, especially black teachers, especially that black there's teachers. so little awareness of the mess that he made in our schools just exactly. among educators. I, I wonder what the institutional memory is of the city. Well, Not very good. No, I mean, he like when he was running the schools, he asked nobody in the communities what was good. He has no ability to work with communities, work with different groups of people, work with anybody who actually knows what's going on. I mean, everybody in the schools know what's good for schools. He could have asked any one of them. He didn't. Right. He could have asked you over it or he could have asked anybody at any school, but he didn't. And And he's not going to do that for Chicago. He's going to come up with his own plans, do his own crazy stuff. And then, as you said, make it look like he's rescuing everybody from a problem he created. Right. Yeah. And they are setting Chicago up. And like that's the that's the bigger conversation. A manufactured crisis. That we're not They're (laughs) manufacturing a crisis. And that's the bigger conversation that we can't always get to in our communities because People in Austin, people in Inglewood, people in North Lawndale, people in, you know, all of these communities that they've basically just disinvested from are really just trying to survive, right? And they're just trying to figure out one day to the next. And I get that, right? But I'm also like, yo, we got to participate in our own rescue because what's going to happen if we don't get the right leadership at this time, at this season, we are in really big danger of black people and poor people not even being able to live in the city of Chicago, not be able to afford to live in the city of Chicago, let alone what happens to the school. There will not be people here. And I was thinking about what Paul Vallis ushered in, right? I said that. And like, Nora, your institutional memory is probably better than mine. Um, (laughs) (laughs) sitting here. And so what do you remember happening at that time? And what were the talking points when you said, "Uh oh, wait a minute, that didn't that didn't sound quite right. So as a as a young bright eyed, I started when I was 22 and and barely. Yeah. Right out of undergrad. Um, I remember being pitched the idea that we were part of a new CPS and that right. we were going to you know, change the city. I'm from Chicago and I attended a CPS grade school on the South side. Uh, so like I have love for, for Chicago and CPS and that felt good to me to know that I was going to be serving my city and, and making it better. But what, what they didn't really say was how. And, and the how was through lots of data that they invented themselves and then abused in every possible way. I was at a school that was well-resourced and, and kind of had a built-in solid test score from being a selective enrollment school. But watching the school down the street from where I lived, 
I lived down the street from Schur's at the time, and I watched Schur's just collapse in on itself when they were put on probation. Uh, after that, I lived kind of by Clemente, and I saw what was happening at Clemente and all the all the turnover and reconstitution at so many neighborhood schools. And I was seeing two different CPSs happen, you know, where I worked and then around where I lived and where I knew other people working. And eventually, and when I say eventually, it actually didn't take that long, maybe like two, three years uh, of being in CPS to realize that this was a sham. This was bullshit. And around then I was starting um, graduate school at UIC and I ended up writing my master's thesis about the abuse of standardized testing data in Chicago and how it's weaponized against black and brown children and their families and their communities and low income families. So thanks, Paul Vallis, for inspiring my master's thesis. (laughs) And I would say you really felt disconnected from the board. You know, it was like a business being ran and not really caring for uh, the students and the teachers. So if you're like in charge, you should show some care for students and teachers and parents in the community. But there was no care. There was no concern. The only time that they actually came to the school was they had this program called Principal for a Day. And then um, they would show up at your school, all of them, right? And they would come in and and, and that's really it. Yeah, it was like a show. show. Um, And I I just felt like that was the only time that you really ever saw people coming in to like look at the school. Just for one Um, day to pretend like they understand how it works. They're almost like spit shine the kids. Yes, yes, They would have you in buildings till midnight doing redoing bulletin boards. I mean, I I remember it was so funny because, you know, earlier I was thinking, okay, now what do I remember? And as you started talking, both of you, it all started coming (laughs) back to me, right? And, And But you know what really came back to me was the probation and what followed when they started failing kids and making them repeat grades. Yes. Yes. yes Summer Bridge. Yes. yes Summer yeah. Bridge. Yes. That's yes. what came back to me, which I thought was the most horrific thing we were doing to children because I ended up being in class. Like I would have eighth graders who were 15. You know, they would be 16 when they were going into high school. And, and I was like, how did we get here? And so as I was thinking about it, I'm like, this is how we got here, right? We had these really, really terrible failed policies that continue to fail children. And what was so criminal about that is that you could be a child and fail in third grade, do third grade twice, get moved on. They would think about whether they were going to fail you in sixth grade, the benchmarks. And then if you did not learn through the mandatory summer school and everything else, they could fail you again in eighth grade. I taught one of those summer school programs one year because as a new as a brand new undergrad CPS teacher, you take summer jobs. And I remember that they handed me the script on the first day. There was a script. There were very specific things you were supposed to say. In direct a, you instruction. Just, you just read from a script. And, and I looked out and had students who were undocumented. I had a student who was pregnant. I had students who really had bigger things going on than this one standardized test that determined that they had to go to Summer Bridge. But we weren't allowed to address any of that stuff. We just read from the script all summer. It was awful and honestly almost pushed me away from teaching. And I think that's part of the idea, too. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say, because I was actually in the program called Teachers for Chicago. Um, They, you know, brought us in and, you know, we were these shiny new teachers, like you said, Um, and we were supposed to change things, you know. And so I was excited to teach um, biology because I actually had a degree in biology. Right. And so I was getting a master's in education 
And so I was there, you know, teaching full time. And so I was trying to bring what I had learned, you know, in science to, you know, the West Side schools um, so that they can experience the same excitement that I felt there back in the 80s when I was a student at or uh, with, you know, with the teachers that taught there. You kind of felt hopeless uh, because it seemed like everything had changed to where test scores were the only thing that mattered. And that's it. (laughs) Nothing else. No, I mean, so, that's what he wanted to do to you know, bankrupt those schools, to bankrupt the communities so they could pump up the, you know, those charter schools where we can corporatize and incentivize it that way. It's now, the setup so that you know, say, yeah, charter I mean, schools are going to come in and save black kids. Yeah. And they only do it in those neighborhoods that they were already targeting, you know. OK, so, Nora, when you came in, you were talking about just in your spare time, um, you <laughs> research right nationalism and, and you and it just so happens that Paul Vallis spends a lot of time with people in these groups. Can you talk more what? about that and like what that threat would be? Yeah, it's weird. As a so mayor? in addition to um, being a CPS high school English teacher, I'm also a senior fellow at the Western State Center. And one of the things we do is we track kind of patterns in white nationalist rhetoric and activity in communities. And my specialization is as it bumps into youth spaces, especially schools. So Uh, I am keeping an eye on folks like Awake Illinois, which is the suburban group that is uh, just venomously anti-LGBTQ. They were anti-mask. They were open the schools yesterday. Um, They're um, a really hostile bunch. And Paul Vallis spoke at one of their events and joked around that the head of that organization should run for governor. She's got such great ideas. Um, And he now, of course, disavows it and said it was poor vetting on the part of his people. But run with me for a second here. So. Um, So that's just awake. Um, Then he's like having lunch with the head of the FOP who is so shady that he had to resign as a cop before he got fired, but he's still head of the union and is on record calling Muslim savages, uh, among other hateful, hateful rhetoric. He's a January 6th apologist. He's right. Honestly, my least favorite Chicagoan. If if I'm going to go on record as saying I have one, it's him. Um, Paul Vallis, that would be a cool list. Though. Yeah, that's that. Well, that's mine. So um, Paul Vallis is having lunch with this guy and sharing a stage with him at other events and um, courting the FOP endorsement. That is one of his strongest bases of support is the FOP. So that's another. Um, he also just did Jean Ives's podcast. Remember Jean Ives? Yeah, it's been a where minute. she came out with that really hateful commercial when she was running for governor that was just so anti-trans and awful and hateful. Um, So he's like cozying up with her. But he first of all, he's insisting he's a Democrat, which is hilarious, but (laughs) he's disavowing this hate group and he's disavowing this racist. And he's just on the podcast to talk politics with this anti-trans bigot. Well, he's also taking their money. Right? He's absolutely taking their money. Yeah. And he's taking money from other donors <laughs> wow. to far right candidates. So just my question is, how many times does Paul Vallis have to disavow his base and his base of support and his funders before we just stop listening and just accept the fact that these are his people? Yeah. And this is what he's running on. That's and crazy. maybe he does share their ideology. If he doesn't share their ideology, he doesn't have a problem with it. Stop hanging out with them then. Yeah. Yeah. There were so many reasons I already didn't like Vallis. Like, I didn't even know these were reasons to not like him. Like, you know, one of the ways I found out to if you don't want to be considered a racist, stop hanging out with racists. That's, that's, yeah, that's one weird. way. It's, it's actually not hard. No, it wouldn't right. I wouldn't think. <laughs> Right. You know, then you don't have to disavow anything because you're right. you're not doing it. If he yeah. doesn't want, I mean, the least of his problems is being accused of being a Republican. Um, 
he we, we really have a, a strong foundation to accuse him of a lot worse with the company he's keeping and the rhetoric he's repeating and the stages that he's sharing. Yeah, that's nuts. So Vallis is talking again. Actually, um, I don't know why people aren't listening because the whenever the question is asked, do you believe in charter school expansion? He says yes, like without hesitation. So to me, for anyone who's a Chicagoan and watched what happened to Chicago public schools and watched 50 schools get closed. And we talk about the 50 schools getting closed, but there were so many schools that were closed before they got to just closing 50. I think we really need to look at how Chicago public schools got set up and the impact that had on its communities, right? Because it's a direct relationship. But He's talking about school choice. He's talking about charters. He's talking about vouchers. He's talking about everything that got us into this space that we're in now. And he says he wants to bring the band back together. Um, (laughs) So based on his practice of shortchanging pensions, what would this mean as a package for education in the city today? It would devastate a lot of uh, neighborhood schools that are already in need of resources based on the student-based funding that they have. Um, And so I think that that will just help, you know, with the process of him saying that, you know, we could shift funding more to these charter schools uh, and give them money because of the student-based funding that they have in CPS right now. I think it's called student-based funding. Is that what yep. it's called? Student-based Based budgeting. 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 Yeah. budgeting. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. As I like to call it, why no schools have librarians. Yep. Right. Yeah. So yep. on the campaign trail, if um, the candidates aren't really embracing uh, treatment, not trauma, Yep. then do they really believe... Which he isn't. Right. Uh, do they really believe in um, giving and providing the mental health services for CPS students uh, and families uh, to help better, you know, their you know their lives and, and their futures? And so I think that that's something we also should be thinking about. You know, we've talked a lot about Vallis and his um, inability to run pretty much anything in the schools, but he's going to be messing up more than just schools. He's, he's trying to mess up the whole city. So why don't we take a little broader look at what Vallis would mean for the city? What are some of the other problems besides education that we would see with him right now? It seems like his answer to every question is throw more cops at it. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, yeah, that's his true. answer to transit. True. That's his answer to, to mm-hmm. everything is, is more cops, more cops, because he's got such a strong base of support among From the cops. police and police yep. communities. Yep. So that's a thing. That is definitely... Yes. And I, I think that since he's against or he's not really promoting treatment, not trauma, I'm assuming that he's against treatment, not trauma. So will he open up the 50 health care uh, clinic, mental health clinics? Will he reopen them? Or is that, you know, that's going to be washed away with the cop thing, right? That's something that we all have to consider because they said most of the 911 calls are for people that are having mental health yeah, situations. For, yeah, 40%. And so why would we want more yeah. cops? Why wouldn't we want treatment, not trauma? Um, so we, we need to have a person that is going to promote and embrace treatment, not trauma. So, But to embrace treatment, not trauma, you would have to talk to mental health care workers and social workers yep. and people in communities. And we've already established that he doesn't talk to people doing the work that he's about to mess up. That's right. <laughs> he just wants right. to crunch numbers and save money and make uh, make entities compete for resources. So right. I don't I don't see him really kind of going for a grassroots approach to what our city needs. You said a little bit about um, take our city back. Whew. And when you said that, I couldn't help. But but what, what I heard was make America great. 
Right. Again. Right. So uh, actually what I hear is I'm eight years old again, listening to the Bernie Epton campaign say before it's too late when Harold Washington was running. That's what I hear. I grew up in a cop neighborhood. I grew up in Beverly Morgan Park. And Mm -hmm. I remember people wearing buttons that said before it's too late, anybody but Harold. Like this was a doomsday scenario for white Chicago. And so along came Bernie Epton with his campaign about, you know, before it's too late. That's what I hear when Paul Vallis says, take Chicago back. We got to take our city back. From whom? Yep. And, and I mean, I know he live in a city. Yeah. Right? It's not his city anyway. He lives in yeah. Palos. Yep. So yeah, you can take Palos back if you want. <laughs> he can have right. Palos. Yeah, Palos. Front, front from Mira Palos. You don't even have to fight over that. We're yeah, not I'm, even scrapping about Palos. Like right. But there's there's an embedded uh I don't even want to say it it's a subtext. It's just the text. When you say take something back, you are communicating that you are the more rightful owner of it. Yes. Mm, and property. when we want to talk about who point. Chicago belongs to, that's a good point. There is a sentiment that it belongs to those kind of police heavy neighborhoods. It belongs to his base. It belongs to the FOP. Uh, that's why they don't want to support treatment, not trauma. That's why they want to take their city back from these kind of more progressive ideas, these more progressive candidates. And while there isn't like a, a municipal version of white nationalism, it is the same vibe. It is the same idea of what belongs to whom and why and who gets to claim a geographic and cultural space. And Chicago, I'm a lifelong Chicago and Chicago belongs to everybody. On election day, Chicago belongs to who shows up. And we need to show up and make sure that this guy is not our next mayor. There you go. Yes, yes I that agree. was classic. Thank yes. you for that. Yes. Belongs to Chicago belongs up. to who shows up. That's right. right. Show up, That's yo. That's a whole t-shirt. So yeah, we have to show up yeah. and vote. Show up and vote. Be- before we get up out of here, though, um, there's a direct connection between Paul Vallis and the decline of black teachers. And I just want you to speak a little bit to that. Um, Nina, I remember buildings being filled with black teachers. Who yes, were I, I and definitely. Me, yes, right. And and yes. I. Now, I've only been out of the classroom for two years, and I know that the majority of the teachers uh, in classroom, at least in the building that I was in, were young and white. Yeah, and so when I attended or uh, back in the 80s, they, I had a black biology teacher. I had, you know, there were black chemistry teachers there. There were a lot of black teachers there. And so now, you know, the population of black teachers um, kind of declined. So it was like 40 percent. Uh, black teachers in Chicago. But once they started doing all the reconstitutions and turnarounds, the population of black teachers declined. And so now we're at about 20 percent or less. I think that that is like probably one of the lasting impacts on Chicago that Paul Ballas, you know, can say that that's he's responsible for that. And he almost could have, you know, wiped me out. Right. Um, If I would have decided to change careers, um, but I kind of stuck with it and I made a commitment to stay. But I think also black people in Chicago are tired of being resilient and we, we need to be able to thrive in the city uh, with the resources that we need. And I think that um, that's something that we have to consider when we're going to the polls to vote. And will Paul Valens, can he be somebody that we could even think remotely close that could provide us with the resources? And he's not. He's just not the person that can he provide us. He doesn't even us. want to. He doesn't even want, he doesn't even want to no. provide us with the resources. So I don't care how many high fives he gives. I don't right. care how many, how many promises he, holds, really he makes crazy. to yeah, people. I feel like people need to really do their research and know that um, Paul Vallis is bad for Chicago. That's right. And we're still reaping the after effects of this. I mean, not just the layoff of black teachers is what we can thank him for uh, tier two pensions. 
We can thank him for the underfunding of the pensions, what everybody, the right likes to call the pension crisis. That was, that was his creation. You know, I know IPI likes to blame everybody, but the people who actually did it, but that was, that was him that did this. It was part of his creation. This is something that Chicago and Illinois is still paying for. And now he wants to do it again, but at a much more macro level. It's amazing that for someone as obsessed with data as Paul Vallis, he doesn't want to look at that. His own data. He doesn't want to look at his own record. He doesn't want to look at his right. own numbers like and how he just narcissist. absolutely crashed a school system. Now well, we want to let him crash our whole city. He's crashed multiple schools. I mean, yes. multiple school systems in other states. Even when Haiti crashed school systems. If yeah. we had more time, we could talk about New Orleans. We could talk about Philadelphia. Yes. I love the point that somebody made recently uh, about how all the things faced by the teachers on Abbott Elementary uh, it's a fictional show, but all the things they're facing are the result of Paul Vallis oh, running no. their school system. Yeah. 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 Oh, point. that's another good thing he did. He got you your master's idea and Abbott hey. Elementary. So he those are two Abbott pluses Elementary. that we can put on there. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I want to thank you guys so much for being guests on the show today. It was wonderful to have you all here. And as Nora said, Chicago belongs to those who show up. So please show up to the polls. And vote. Early voting has already started. Yes. That's right. It's already started. Be there. I, I like to go on election day. So if you want to be on election day, you'll see me there. If you go up to Portage Park, that's where I vote. I went day one yesterday. Nice. I, yeah, I like to go so on excited to vote on day right. one. Yeah, see, old yeah, I go school. to Amundsen Park and I vote at Amundsen Park District down the street right. from my house. Yep. All right. So thank you guys very much. Thank and, you. Uh, we'll to have you back. Thank you. Wow, that was a great session listening to those teachers, like hearing from people in the classroom about what was going on at the time. That's really insightful as to what we could expect from a Paul Vallis as mayor of the city of Chicago, right? Absolutely, it is. And and I'm and I appreciate that we heard it from two different um, perspectives, both a teacher who um, had been a victim of his his practices. Uh, that was a school that was disinvested then and has continued to be disinvested. And another teacher who um, had the same opinion, although they were at a school um, that was pretty much, you know, um, thought to be or it still is a really high performing um, school in the city of Chicago. And yet they have the same analysis of Paul Vallis as a potential mayor. No, that's right. And, you know, we got somebody else with another great perspective that was sort of had a view of all the schools from from all ends of the spectrum, all ends of the city. And that's uh, Howard Heath, who at the point was the vice president of Chicago Teachers Union. We're going to hear his perspective on Vallis's administration as CEO of the public schools right now. So now we're here with a a great member and a great guest on our show, Howard Heath. He's a former vice president of the CTU, currently the functional vice president for retirees at the CTU, and has been a member here for 50 years now. Is that right? 50 years? 50 years. I've been, uh, I started teaching in September of 1973. Well, thanks so much for your uh, time and membership and making me feel younger than I am. So that's, uh, that's a good way to start. So I appreciate that. Yeah, uh, just to give you a little historical uh, perspective, back when I ran, uh, uh, essentially in the year 2000, uh, to be the vice president of Chicago Teachers Union, the uh, just of our campaign was around the policies of Paul Vallis. I mean, the school closings, a lot of the neoliberal stuff, charter schools, and we fought against that. 
Uh, and in fact, when we were successful and actually won the election, the very next day, my principal calls me in the classroom and says, get down here immediately. Paul Vallis is on the phone. And I'm like, okay, so Paul Vallis is on the phone. <laughs> Send somebody up here to cover my room. And the principal insisted, no, just abandon your class because wow. it's the CEO of the schools that wants to talk to you. I'm like, I'm not going to abandon my class, you know, send somebody to cover me and I'll come down. So five minutes later, I go down there and Paul is patiently waiting on the phone. And he says, hi, Howard Heath, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to tell the mayor that I'll be able to work with you. Well, he knew that his job was on the line because we won the election. And so he asked me to call the mayor. And I'm like, well, why did he ask me and not call the president? Well, it just so happened that the press secretary of the mayor was one of my students. Oh, wow. So he figures out oh, this guy's got a good direct link to City Hall. So okay. let him call his student up and tell him that, you know, I'd be able to work with him. Well, needless to say, a couple of days later, Paul was fired. So uh, <laughs> one of many jobs he's been fired from. Right. One of many jobs. <laughs> and let's hope he doesn't get to be mayor and we have to fire him from that, too. That's not really an option. Well, once I became the vice president of the teachers union, I was also the political director. So I had two hats. And so when the gubernatorial race came around, Paul Vallis is running again. And Paul Vallis calls me and says, I'd love to have your support for the gubernatorial campaign. Wow. I'm like, this guy doesn't care. We have opposing philosophies at all. He just wants support. He'll ask wherever he can get it. And you can see the same thing in the mayoral race. Well, you know, it's it's crazy because I know that when, if I'm right, way back in the day, he was um, one of Daly's budget directors. Is that right? Right. That's right. Maybe you can explain how, what his role was, Vallis's role was in our current pension problem. They uh, shortened the payments and they used it for other projects or to cover budget shortfalls. We had an important safety uh, net that other pensions didn't have. So he had to really go to uh, Springfield and modify that. Where our property taxes were sent to a dedicated fund. And, you know, he uh, went to Springfield to bypass that. And this was that pension holiday people talk about, right? Pension holiday. And how long was that holiday? They skipped several payments. I'm not sure exactly how many, right. but... Uh, it really wasn't a holiday. It was deferred or, or lost payments because the pension was funded well over 90 percent. They made promises that, you know, if it went down below a certain percentage that they would fix the problem. And of course, that never happened. Right. And that's a big part of where we are in the problem now, which leads us to tier two pensions. Really leads us to tier two pensions. And and he talks about accountability a lot in his advertisement. I would like to see what his accountability is for uh, <laughs> for what happened with the pension shortfalls. And, and we did a statement in the, the union that said no longer should a pension holiday be called a holiday, but a default, which is exactly what it is. 
Yeah, holiday sounds like it should be nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we have to go away, relax on the beach, have a drink or two. Right, right. Oh, yeah. Not lose billions of dollars out of a pension fund, underfund it, and then basically tax our retirees and our new kids that are coming into this system so they'll never be able to beat a retiree with 50 years service in the CTU. It also allowed them to avoid uh, probably tax increases because, again, they were using the pension like a credit card. I mean, instead of raising taxes to get it or what have you, they used pension money. And they gave, and it gave those politicians cover so they didn't have they could make it look like they're delivering all these services with no increases in taxes or anything like that. Exactly. Teachers joked a lot that Maggie Daly and some of the other parks and new improvements in the city should have been named after various pension funds instead of. <laughs> certain people you know like why don't you call that park uh chicago teachers pension park or something yep. yeah we are we should be able to hang out there since it's ours anyway right <laughs> yeah. um, and in addition to that the raises we negotiated i mean you know you negotiated a raise but then you lost money out of your pension so have you really gained anything so Right. I mean, and Vallis tries to cover this over by the fact that, you know, we, we had the dot-com boom in the end of the end of the 90s, early 2000s. So it looked like the pension fund wasn't that bad off. But right after he leaves is when everything collapses. And the real penalty of what we saw with that pension holiday really hits. And we're like, oh, my God. And then he went on to do this to other school systems, too, right? Well, he went to uh, Philadelphia right after he went to New Orleans. New Orleans was particularly bad because that was uh, what you call a, a prime example of disaster capital. The schools had all been essentially demolished by the flood. And then, you know, when they were trying to reform the system, he reformed it as uh, almost 100 percent charters. You know, that's the kind of attitude he's bringing back to Chicago. Let's basically clear cut the schools and the communities and let's rebuild it in my image. The uh, he wants to take Chicago. What does this thing take back Chicago or like it's his? Like he like he don't even live here. He he really does not. Rented an apartment just inside the framework to to be able uh, to run legally. So you know if it, I'm a, I'm a field rep here at CTU now, and if this if a member did this, if they lived in Indiana or something like this, and just rented an apartment here in the city to make it look like they have residency. The office of the inspector general would call them up. I'd be having a hearing downtown and they'd be trying to dismiss that teacher for, for fraud. But somehow to lead the public schools, to lead the city, that's fine. That's crazy. Well, the, the other problem with Paul Vallis is he led a school system. He had no educational credentials at all. When he went to his final stop, which was Bridgeport, Connecticut, they gave him a year and they said, you know, you need to do certain things to meet the minimum credential requirement to be uh, the head of the school district. He didn't. And he was fired because of that there, too. So he blew off school, but he wanted to run the schools. Is what, <laughs> yeah. what happened. OK, yeah. that, make, that makes sense. Yeah, that's um, exactly what he did. So, so I mean, the, the long and the short of it, you've been here a minute here in Chicago. You've done all kinds of different jobs around here in the city. You know, all kinds of different things. What would happen in a Vallis administration here in Chicago? If you look at his run for governor, he came within a few tenths of a percentage point of beating Lagojevich, yeah, the Democratic nomination. But a, a lot like what you see here, most of his votes or 
the reason he was so close in that nomination was rural and suburban voters. The, the city voters did not vote for Paul Vallis. And we're hoping that, you know, that trend continues. He should be so, so far down on the list. He's not on the list. There should be a whole different list that he's on. I can think of another word for a list, but I'm not allowed to use. Well, he, he's an opportunist. And, you know, he saw an opportunity here, just like he did in other school districts. Uh, he said he's an opportunity because he's the only white guy running. So, you know, he figures, you know, here's an opportunity for me. He didn't expect that to happen maybe that way. Probably not. And I mean, and he's getting a lot of the the support from the the people who, you know, support a lot of these right wing agendas. We've talked to other members that say, you know, he goes to a lot of these right wing white supremacist meetings and he says he's not affiliated with them. But I mean, I don't hang out there. I'm a white guy. I don't hang out with them. <laughs> and, you know, he's just, he makes it sound like that's just a regular thing. And I'm like, I can I can say as a white guy, that's not a regular thing. We don't do that. You know, he also accepted money from a lady who was kicked off the school board. Well, he probably felt an affinity with that being kicked off so many school boards himself. <laughs> well, <laughs> she she was doing business with the city and she was also on the school board. So she left. And the first campaign, I think he returned five hundred dollars he gave. But now in his second campaign, uh, it's been a much bigger check and he has not returned the money from Deborah Quazo. I think it is her okay. name. And she's a was a former school board member. Yeah. I don't know. Anything else you want to add that I might have missed here? Well, we were lucky that the CTU did a good job of lobbying because the trend that Paul Vallis did with uh, skipping the pension payments, Rahm Emanuel tried to do that also. And through the goodness of the lobbying of this uh, CTU, he was denied being able to do that. We were able to turn back his attempt to do the same thing that Paul Vallis did. So the trend has been away from. Paul Vallis and the neoliberal movement, and we've got to continue to do that. I agree. You know, everybody who's listening, listen to Howard Heath here. He's been doing, putting it down here for 50 years here and see that that's an impressive amount of time, man. I have to say that's an impressive amount of time. My, my daughter always tells me how old I am. And she said, man, you're so old. He said, look at Paul Vallis. You see how old he looks? You're older than Paul Vallis. Wow. I'm only a year older than Paul Vallis, but I'm older than Paul Vallis. <laughs> you look a lot better than Paul Vallis, let me tell you right now. And I'd pick you over as mayor over him in a second. <laughs> yeah. But on my plus side, I should look better because I've been retired for the last 15 years. So that helps a lot. Oh, he's been retired quite a bit, too. He keeps getting yeah, fired yeah, from different yeah. jobs. So yeah, he hasn't been working true. either. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, Howard, thanks so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'd love to have you back again sometime. All right. Will do. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to another episode of C2 Speaks, where we got to hear about the real Paul Vallis. We had the receipts, they had the receipts, and we put it down. So listen, right. you cannot say you don't know, because now you know. Now you know. Right. Yep. And and if they want to know some more or they want to tell us something they know, could they call us somewhere, Miss Stamps? Absolutely. We don't hide, baby. We're here. 312-467-8888. 
That's right. And you can also email us at CTU Speaks at ctulocal1.org. We, we read those emails too. So fire away. Let us know what you think. Let us know if you got any uh, great Paul Vallis stories uh, back in the day. You know, I'm, I'm sure they're, they're right in line with the rest of the stuff that we've heard. Somehow he seems to have gotten worse. He has, and he's creepy. You know who he reminds me of? He reminds me of, like, the Simpsons boss. Don't he look like... <laughs> Mr. Burns? Yes! And he's like a, like a Mr. Burns. He's, like, all hunched over, and he got that, like, yes. deep, you know? <laughs> That's awesome. Anyway, well, thank you guys so much for listening. Please subscribe. <laughs> Please subscribe on, uh, on your favorite podcast platforms, and... We will see you at the next episode here at CTU Speaks, where we only speak what matters. What matters. Bye. Bye.